Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Thank you for your provision of salvation and forgiveness to man. Thank you for the cross of Calvary, that Good Friday that you were able to give your life as a sacrifice, the sacrificial death like a lamb that sheds his blood for the forgiveness of sin. That being said and done, and having three days to wait to see if what you said would happen would come about. Having been abandoned by all of your followers, three days later you raise from the dead, you tell the devil that his victory is over, that he is defeated, that sin is defeated, that death is defeated. You raise from the dead a day like this. You champion salvation for all who believe. You come with power of heaven to raise all that is dead. All that is lost is redeemed. All that has been stolen has been brought back, O oh God. And now as we walk in the direction of the power of your resurrection, as we celebrate this Sunday, where we commemorate your resurrection, Lord, Allow every dead thing to come alive. Allow every broken thing to be healed. Allow all things lost to be found. We pray that we would have a clarity of understanding of what the resurrection invites us to. We give you thanks for that power that rose you from the dead that is working also in us, Lord that we might live for you in the manner that you chose even before man fell into sin. Restore us, redeem us, and bring us to the fullness of a wholesome life with you, Lord. Remove greed and doubt and sin and shame, Lord. Do away with everything in our lives that does not reflect the full power of your strength and heaven's glory in our lives. Bless this word and make it a good seed in our hearts. Make it a lamp unto our feet. Make it a double-edged sword that reaches the depth of who we are, dividing soul and spirit. And Lord, that it not return void, but that it would bring forth a fruitful harvest that glorifies your name, the days we have to live upon the earth. That we might walk in the power of your resurrection to impact the lives of our families, our city, our nation, and the nations of the earth, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. amen. I am taken by the fact that nowadays so many people have so many opinions about so many matters they have not historically investigated. People have an opinion about what the church is about. I have an uncle that says the church is about a bunch of old ladies that gossip all the time. He has no clue what the church is. I have friends that tell me that a church is like a franchise. It's like a Burger King. If you get one, you get to make a lot of money if you're a pastor. All you got to do is start a church, and it's a business franchise. And they're just as wrong as my uncle. There's people that says that church is for weak people that need a crutch, and they don't have a clue that the strongest people that live upon the planet Earth are those that depend on an omnipotent God. Those that walk with God upon the earth, nothing is impossible for them. So it's actually the strongest people in the world. But here it is, <clears throat> excuse me, in Luke chapter 1, verse 1. These gospels, these, these things written in the Bible are written by men that wanted to know more about the things they were into. Inasmuch as many, say with me, many, a lot of people have taken to hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. There's a lot of people that want to tell the story of God. They want to tell the story of the Bible. They want to tell the story of church. 
They want to tell the story of, of what the Bible teaches and doesn't teach, what grace is, what legalism is. All sorts of people are trying to investigate these matters. Inasmuch as many have taken to task to set things in their right order. Um, listen to me. Anybody could bring up a story bringing things out of order. You, you, you go talk to a homeless for a little while and you'll see how they, they begin to talk about things out of order. And if you listen to them too long, you'll go crazy also. Because they have their thoughts are all twisted. They're all confused. They're all full of a lot of different things in every direction but when. Inasmuch as we have taken to hand to set these things in order, to try and build a story. How, how do we tell the story of those things which we have seen that have come to pass as we have lived? I want to tell you that there is a large number of people that don't have things in order, that don't have a story, that don't know what they're doing here upon the earth, and they're just, they're just blowing according to the wind that blows. And that's the saddest of them all. Verse 2 says, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, there's people that actually saw these things with their eyes, and ministers of the word delivered them to us. There was actually people that weren't making this stuff up, that weren't bringing about fables, that weren't telling stories, but they had seen with their eyes and they had brought and showed us in the word of God the things that were to be fulfilled. These things were given to the writer of Luke. In verse 3 he says, So I have seen fit, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding. I have put these things, I've investigated them. I've heard from those people that know. I got them all in order, all the things from the very first to write to you an orderly account. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write down um, the right recipe, the ingredients. I'm going to write down for you what it is to be a true Christian. I, I want to tell you that a lot of people go to church, they own a Bible, they call themselves Christians, but they're so disconnected with the Spirit of the Lord and the power of His resurrection, they, they don't even know they don't belong to the Lord. They don't even know that they're not in what Paul calls genuine relationship with God. He says, test yourselves to see if you are in the true faith, in the genuine faith. Because if you lie, you cheat, you steal, you lack obedience, you're in rebellion, you're disconnected, you're no more a Christian than is one of these VeggieTale cartoon characters, the Cucumber Larry. You're just a cartoon. You have no substance of the power of his resurrection working in your lives because you're not attuned to the presence of God that raised the Lord from death. So he says, I have put these things in, in a perfect understanding of all these things. I've, I've precisely judged the weight of these matters to be able to write to you an orderly account. And then he says, O oh, most excellent Theophilus. That's a secret little code there that says friend of God. Theo, God, philosophy, the last part, philos, phileos, friend. You who are a friend of God are concerned with investigating these matters. To have a right weight of knowing what is taking place on Easter Sunday. A lot of people are silly in their Christian beliefs. They, they believe that if they go to church on Easter Sunday and they go have a good Easter Sunday brunch, that life is large. And they're totally divorced from anything that God had called his followers to follow, to pursue. So as he says these things, verse 4, he says them so that you might know so that you might also walk in the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. There's, there's, Christianity has become rampant, has become totally disconnected and, and has derailed itself off a cliff 
because of the inability to have certainty in the manners which we have been instructed. It's 1 John 1.1 that says like this, that which we have seen from the beginning. Obviously, when you start your instruction class, a lot of my friends are Jewish and they go to Orthodox school and they're taught about the God of the Bible. They're taught about his precepts and commandments. And when you meet them and they're 30 and 40 years old, they tell you, I went to Hebrew school. What good is it going to Hebrew school if years later you become an atheist? You become a non-believer in the God of the Bible. You have so many reasonings. You have so much rationale. Well, I've, mat I've matured in these things. Really? It seems to me that you're acting selfishly and immature as you depart from that which was instructed from the beginning. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we looked upon and gazed, and our hands have held concerning the word of life, talking about Jesus. We've investigated these matters. There are people here, and I have no doubt, there are people here that don't believe, just like the first day I walked into the Bible, in, into church. And I heard the Bible, and I was like, that's not true. So my first day at the house of God was making fun of everyone. I was like, why are they laughing? Why are they smiling? Why are they having a good time? Life is not so easy. Life is not so light. And so there are people here this morning that have different weights of understanding with regards to their relationship with God. There's people here this morning that will come once a year to a church. There's ones that come only on Easter and Christmas. They'll come when Jesus was born and when Jesus died and rose from the dead twice a year. And then it says that there are those that desire to know more of this Jesus, to inquire more of this Jesus. And to look upon these things and gaze upon them and consider them. Considering the reality of these words of life. Verse 2 says, it's the life that was manifested. That means it was revealed. It came out of darkness. And since it came out of darkness, we have seen. And now we go around telling people about this reality. I want to say that if you have experienced Jesus, you can't but help invite people. You have to. You have to tell people, listen, Jesus is there for you just like he's there for me. I, I walk around with a, a pocket full of invitations. Wherever I go, if it's a valet parker, hey, sir, I want to invite you to celebrate my God. Come and get to know him. If it's at a at, at, at Cheesecake or, or Johnny Rockets, I'll invite the waiter. You've got to come to my church. It's the best church in town. Amen. The most incredible people that love God are there. It doesn't matter where we are. If we're going through a toll, we've got two minutes. Here, ma'am, come to our church. Why would you care? Because I believe everybody needs to know Jesus. Everybody needs to experience the power of his resurrection. You know, the saddest thing about inviting a person to church is when they come and you don't show up. It's like being invited to dinner and you don't show up. There's nobody there. There's nobody waiting for you. There's no one sitting down. There's no one showing you what to select on a menu. It's sad. And that's not why I believe a lot of people don't invite people to church because they've already been at seven churches. Maybe if you invite me next week, it'll be a different church. It's not the same one. It's not, you don't have a pastor. Your family doesn't have a place to gather as sheep. I was telling that to, I was working some landscape with, uh, with a friend yesterday. And I said, introduce, we went to go buy some soil at the nursery. And so he's a landscaper. And he walks up and he says, look, I want to introduce you to somebody. And I said, tell him I'm your pastor. Tell him I'm your pastor because only sheep have pastors. You used to be a goat. You used to go around with no pastor. But every sheep has a pastor. And the Bible says that a pastor knows his sheep. They know him. They follow him. Uh, who's my pastor's name? Uh, Theophilus. That's the guy. <laughs> Have a pastor gather with his sheep. I guarantee you when he comes looking for you, he'll know what flock you're in. And if you're not, then you're a sheep, you're a goat. And there's a Spanish word for that. They go around chivando. Porque son chivos. 
They're just, just bothering people. They're just an eye irritation. They, they don't show forth the reality of God. He says in verse 2, he says, 1 John 1, 2, he says, This life was shown. It was manifested. We have seen it. We bear witness. We declare it to you. That eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. He showed us not only salvation at the cross, but the power of resurrection. He showed us a glimpse of heaven. Verse 3. That which we have seen, the things we have heard, we speak to you in declaration that you also may have fellowship with us, that you might experience with us the reality of this power. Any and truly our fellowship was with the Father. That's why we're connected with Him and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the basis of the resurrection. The story goes like this in Luke chapter 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came and certain other women with them came to the tomb and they were bringing the spices which they had prepared. Going to see Jesus at the tomb. Verse 2. Verse 2. Verse 2. Whenever you guys see that, you see the lack of the power of the resurrection. Absolutely, absolutely. Any deficiency of excellence needs to press into the Christ of excellence. And it's, it's a spirit, it's a power of his presence. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Very, very unusual because that tomb stone was super heavy. It took almost a dozen men to move it. They see the stone rolled away from the tomb. Verse 3. They went in and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They pierced into the tomb and it was empty. Verse 4. It happened as they were greatly perplexed. When they see death is no longer present. They see the corpse has moved. They were greatly perplexed. They were blown away. Some people have to go through this process of, I don't know to, man, you're blowing me away right now. What are you talking about? A, a life indestructible. A life that, that overcomes dead things. That, that heals sick things. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not accustomed to understanding that. There's a hope when there's desperate despair. As they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Verse 5. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why... Do you seek the living among the dead? Why are you playing religion? Why do you not walk towards reality? I was counseling a couple last week. The man went first and he told me all the woes, all the woes about his condition in his marriage. And then the wife went and she told me all the woes about their hardships and hurting. And I said, you know something? Everything you both have said has nothing to do with reality. There's a, there's a stark center point of who man is that God wants to bring back to life. Otherwise, everything is a fanfare. Everything is smoke and mirrors. Your motive to come to church today might have been a thousand. There's some people that came to church today just because they were going to meet up with their girlfriend. It's like, man, I'm going to look good for Easter. Had nothing to do with Easter Resurrection Sunday. 
They were going to come because they're going to go have lunch right after church, and they can't wait. Woo! The best food in town. They're not talking about. They're not feeling the resurrection. They're not connected with the power. So reality is going past dead things to be able to tap into reality. And this is what I told this couple. I'm not concerned about talking about everything in your marriage that's dead and sick and hurt. I'm interested in plugging you into the power of resurrection life that you might enjoy each other in a way that you never even thought was possible. That you would live out the best days of your life. I'm telling them, I, I had to show my example with my wife. I said, look, me and Yvette live in perfect peace. We enjoy each other. We enjoy our families. The, the life of Christ is in our marriage. It's not even anything that we do in a natural realm. It's something supernatural. Because it's every day of every moment. In, in everything we do, there's something precious about what God does when, when He tells us, why are you seeking living things among dead rituals? Verse 6. He is not here. If you just want to join church for a Sunday experience, I want to tell you, hello, and then I want to tell you goodbye. This is not your church. This church is not a Sunday-goer's church. Because the power of the resurrection is not in practical religion. It's in the powerful reality of living life together every day of every year of every moment. Sitting down. Imagine the, the privilege of sitting down at the Lord's table that you're invited to share in, in the abundance of His provision. I want to tell you, it's not only for you. A lot of people say, well, I come to church to make sure I get fed. Mmm, que rico fue eso. It's not about you. It's about you being so filled with God. You knowing God so powerfully that wherever you are at any moment, you're reaching out, delivering the presence of God to all those around you. In every moment, there's not a moment to lose. For, for, for the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. And when you miss what God has for you, you're missing a thousand years of his provision. And that's why you're so poor and needy. That's why there's so many things lacking. To be plugged into Jesus is to be part of his living body, not part of dead things. So one man came to church several years ago. He said, I don't like your church. I go, why not, sir? He goes, because when I don't come, everybody's upset. I said, well, usually in a body, when the liver stops working, the body gets upset. When the kidney doesn't show up, the body gets upset. When the eyeball's not present, the body gets upset. When you got a kidney stone, the body gets upset. So you, my friend, want to be in a corpse so that when you're missing, nobody notices because it's not alive. And so he went to go find a corpse <laughs> and became part of a corpse that is slowly dying and dead. Isn't that sad? It's super sad. It breaks my heart. The Bible says those who wander, wander off from understanding will find themselves in the congregation of the dead. How many enjoy that verse? You don't want to wander off from understanding because you'll end up as an ice cube. You'll be so dead in your spiritual life, there'll be no power of the resurrection in you. So there it is. He says he was not there, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee? Remember those things that he was trying to press upon your hearts? Verse 7, saying the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men. He must be crucified. And he must rise again. For some of us, we're sitting there watching, Pastor, you're up to something today. We know you. I want to tell you that it's sad in my heart that there's people deader than doornails in this place. There's people that have heard about the risen Christ. They have been told, they have seen the movies, but their life is not anything close to that. In Romans 4.25, it tells you the contrast of that 
he died and was delivered for our offenses. These are the two things that are at work this week, Easter weekend. He was delivered up to the cross because of our offenses. My friends, there are people that go around saying, I'm not a sinner, or I'm not as bad at this as they say. I had a train load. Have you seen those trains that go by and they're so long you start counting the carts? What are they called? The little... It's a freight train, but it, it's, it has the little... It's pulling things. And they're full of lumber or they're full of different things. In my life, that was an endless train of sin. Of all the garbage, of everything wicked, of everything that, that, that is super unfavorable to talk about. And it was one train load after another, and they just kept on passing, and they were full to the top. All my sins, my rebellions, my thoughts, my pride, everything that I'm ashamed of was taken to the cross. He was delivered up for, because of our offenses, because of our sin. But he was raised for our justification. This, this, this two-sided coin. One is everything that he took upon the cross that is, is sinful, rebellious, disobedient. He paid the price for it. I'm free. He, he forgave me. It settled the count. I, I could go up to God now. And he could look at me and I could say, Jesus took it all. He cleansed it all. He washed me clean through and through. He's a faithful high priest. He, 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 uh, he offered up a perfect sacrifice for my sin for all time. I don't need to go back there. It's done. It's settled at the cross. But then he was raised up. The resurrection is, is he was raised up bringing us to the place of a life that he intended a life that he intended, that, that we think of, and people, we were talking to a couple last night, it says when we try and tell friends that we're living life for real, they're like, no, it can't be true. There has to be something missing. Listen, there's nothing missing in the resurrection. There's nothing missing in the goodness of God. By raising Jesus Christ up, he just cleared the standard of a level of living that far surpasses anything fake, any appearance. Um, they call it posing. You got to pretend because it's not real. You're covering up with uh, coverall, with makeup. You're trying to, to patch up things. No, not in the resurrection. In the resurrection, he was raised for our, say our justification, to bring you to the place. Ready for this? Here it goes. Here's the contrast. Where there was death, now life is abundant. We could, we could go into hospital now and see people on the verge of death and bring in the power of the resurrection to raise them, to raise them up. And there's all, they're all over town. Every time they call us into a hospital, we're bringing them not our black magic, not our power, uh, powder, no, we're bringing the presence of the living God that raises the dead. Raises the dead. People don't even know how it happens. But once there was death and now life has ushered in. Begins to paint the portrait of what God intends. When there's darkness, the contrast in the power of resurrection is light. This is one of the things I do in my office. I turn off all the lights. It's pitch dark. And I tell the people I'm counseling, see here how dark this is? And they say, yeah, it feels like my life right now. There's no glimpse of hope. There's no light. And then I'll go over to the light switch and turn it on. And all of a sudden, the darkness disseminates. It disappears in an instant. And I say, where's darkness? They say, it's gone. But how could it go? Because light, uh, darkness does not prevail over light. Light always prevails over darkness. So the contrast is that those people that are living desperate, despaired, dark lives become full of light and hope and confidence. And this is what the world needs right now. From sorrow, the contrast is to not just joy. The Bible speaks about unspeakable joy. 
joy at such levels. You'll see some of these guys that are enjoying their walk with the Lord so much they're besides themselves. They jump out of their body. They do a little dance and then they jump in. They just cannot believe what's going on in their lives. It's, it's a level of joy that's unexplainable. I love watching the lives of my children. They, they are pursuing life with the full exuberance of the expectation God's going to show up at every cross turns of my life. There's never going to be a time where God's not going to be there for me. If God is for me, who could be against me? And to fill up your children with this expectation of life, that is Easter. That is celebration. The Bible says where there's grief, there'll be rejoicing. Where they, they said, if, if joy, rejoicing replaces grief, Lord, then let me know my deepest sorrow. Let me go there. Let me not hide. Let me not run from it. Let me run to the place where the depth of desperate sadness are because there the resurrected power of Jesus will raise me up. There's people that run from that their whole lives. Where there's lies. We, we have become, and I was just talking in these past couple weeks, there, there is such severity of dysfunction in so many people's lives. They have to live a lie. They have to lie. They can't for the life of them face the truth, say the truth, be part of the truth. I want to suggest that that's why a lot of people don't go to church. A lot of people don't want others to find out the reality of their lives. And this is a place where we confess our sins. This is a place where we acknowledge our weaknesses, where we actually boast in our vulnerabilities and in, in who we are. And so here it is, the lies are replaced by truth. In these days, there's a lot of weddings going on in this church. And I don't like to preside the ceremony over weddings because I find it occasion to laugh out loud and see how all the silly things that happen and I don't want to marry, uh, ruin anybody's wedding. So I take on the funerals because that's a serious matter. It's not a matter of laughter. But the, there was a friend of mine that says, Joaquin, every wedding begins with two lies. And I said, that's interesting. I, I never heard this one. He says, yeah. The groom looks back at the bride as she appears in the chapel. And she's gloriously dressed. She looks like an angel. She's coming with a perfect makeup, perfect dress. And he looks back there and she says, boy, she's perfect. That's the first lie. The second lie is the bride looking up to the groom and she sees him up there and she says, I can't believe I'm marrying this guy. I know he's all out of whack, but I'm going to change him. That's the second lie. <laughs> She's not perfect, and he's not going to change. And it's this lie that people perpetuate during their marriage and family. And that's why they need the power of the resurrection. They need to begin to be transparent. It's the opposite of, in the contrast of hypocrisy, where you don't show who you really are, needs to be changed with transparency. That you're able to open up your heart and share reality, and people won't because it might need correction. It might need instruction. It might be to be delivered to a time of discipline. Let's not get into reality because there's much pain there. Instead of religion, and we have perfected in our religiosity, we've even told our sons that we're Christians and we don't even go to church. We tell our sons that we're Christian men, yet we're not a part of genuine fellowship with true Christian men. We tell our families that we have a tradition of loving Christ and we're never there at the Lord's Supper. We don't celebrate that which is to be celebrated by the body of Christ. His body was broken for us that we might be united with the body of Christ. The contrast is when you're not 
Walking in the power of the resurrection, you're walking in the power of religion. The contrast of divorce or marriage covenant. When you got the power of the resurrection, your marriage covenant holds on believing God for his power to move in a miraculous manner. For those that are walking in condemnation, the power of resurrection will allow you to celebrate redemption so often and so hard that the devil will never be able to point a finger at you accusing you of anything because you know that your redeemer lives. The power of the resurrection takes a man out of rebellion to submission. The power of resurrection takes a woman out of disobedience to obedience. It takes a family out of foolishness to wisdom. Hold on to your pocketbook because the power of resurrection will make you a generous person and not a stingy greed. He won't make you a Grinch. The power of the resurrection is evidence. Billy Graham says, by where the greater part of your money goes, that is your God. If it stays in your bank account, then you have lifted yourself up like the devil above the throne of God. You have become a devil. Billy Graham says a man's pocketbook will tell if there is true conversion because he's generous and extravagant. The power of the resurrection lifts a person out of selfishness to love, the denial of self, not what I want, but by what thou want, O God. I have come to do thy will. That's the power of the resurrection. It defeats every loss and brings you to complete victory in every aspect of your life. I haven't met yet a, an, uh, a hostile arch enemy of God that has prevailed over him. I have never met God lose a battle. I love when people say, well, that's not going to happen to me. Guess what? The bigger they are, the harder they fall. The more contested the battle, the more glorious the victory of my God. When there's no way out, he's the way out. And finally, the contrast of sickness to restored health. The power of the resurrection that, that abides in us, turning chaos to order, confusion to peace, anxiety to rest, treacherously disloyalty to faithfulness. 1 Corinthians 15.45 says the first Adam brought in sin that kept us out of heaven. The first man, Adam, became a living being. And the last Adam became the life of a giving spirit, the power to prosper unto true righteousness to come into heaven. That's why Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 10, I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the reality that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. What would it be that each person here tied into the power of resurrection would just totally conform to like the expression of the flourishing multitude provisions of God's power? Unyielded, unrestricted, no more lies, no more sickness, no more confusion, no more religion. This is what the whole world is waiting to see. It says, so that I might know the power of his resurrection, so that I can fellowship with his sufferings, and I could take everything in my life to be conformed to his death. I don't have to have artificial life support. How many know what that means? You, you have a lung that's over there connected to the wall. You disconnect it from the wall, and it collapses. That's called artificial life support. You don't need religion. You don't need self-help. It's not about what you're doing. It's about what God wants to do in you. You could try real hard. But the power of the resurrection allows you to live. This is the manner in which he says it. In a, in a powerful display. Verse 11, he says, In order that I might attain the resurrection that dead things have in Christ. They come alive. Romans 8, 11. If the spirit of him, if the presence of him who raised Jesus from the dead, the power that brought Jesus back from the death was the spirit 
And if that spirit dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Allowing the spirit of God to bring you to that place where you're living like God intended. Not pretending. Not throwing Easter eggs at each other. Not hoping the Easter egg bunny comes in. That's all a joke. That's all a lapse of being able to celebrate authentically what has happened. Verse 12 says, Therefore, brother, we are no longer debtors. We don't owe pretending anything to live according to the abilities of the flesh. We don't have to pretend about religion. This is, this is one of the things that's most important this morning. For some, they're living a religious practice by coming here. And they say, Pastor preaches a good word. And you stay on an earthly level of existence. We're not debtors to that life. Verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will eventually die. You're going to come to nothing. But if by the Spirit you're able to live in the power of the resurrection, you put to death the deeds of the body so that you might live, so that it becomes a reality. I know that a lot of Christians have come into a phase where the most they could expect is a good sermon. The most they could expect is a listening to a new Bible verse. I want to tell you and suggest to you that God wants to give you the full power of his presence to raise you up to levels that you never even thought possible and everything that is corrupt, everything that has died, everything that needs to be brought back to life. And that this, my friend, is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If being a Christian is only about living a good life and there's no more power to it, we're the most pitied to be among men. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all, of all men the most pitiable. The most to be pitied. Because we're going around peddling religion. Peddling information. Peddling, I already heard this Bible verse, or I already know that Bible verse. Oh, that was good, that was bad, that was indifference. Totally stripped of the power of God unto salvation. That's what made the difference in Jesus' life, life in Romans 1.4. He says he was declared to be an authentic son of God when the people saw him raised up in the power of the resurrection. According to the spirit of holiness, there's something in our lives that pulls us out of dead religion. I pray that we might come into this like Paul says, that we might walk in this. It was there in John eleven thirty five, the shortest verse in the Bible that says that Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. This is the shortest verse in the entire Bible. And you know when he wept, when he looked out at his best friends, he looked out and saw Lazarus and he was dead. He sees Christians that are just walking in their dead religion. There's no life about it. There's no obedience. There's no submission to authority. There's no truth. There's no generosity. There's no submission. There's no impacting the nations. It's a sad affair today when Christians decide to walk in their dead religious practices and not in the living power of God. Acts 4.33 tells it like it is, with great power, those followers of Christ, the apostles, were able to show forth the resurrection of our Lord. They gave witness. They let people see the reality of the presence walking with them. And great grace was upon them all. Let's stand this morning. If we start pulling members of our congregation out front here and we start seeing what manner they display in their lives, see how the more they learn, the less they walk in that reality.
The more they grow in coming to church, the more they participate, the less love, mercy, forgiveness, truth. We've told a young man in this church 50,000 times to stay away from a girl, and he cannot. We've told some guys to stop listening to worldly music. They cannot. We've told some daughters to listen to their parents a thousand times. They cannot. We have men in here that want to be participate in levels of discipleship and mentoring and knowledge and growth. And they want to be preachers and they want to be world changers. But they cannot be transparent. And God looking down upon us only weeps. Because we're not walking in the life that he has for us. We're not walking in the strength that he has for us to change the world. The Bible says that those who do such things will be destroyed. They'll be lost. And unfortunately, it's only when they're going off the cliff and into their destruction that we notice their destruction. But at the front end of Easter is to have the legitimacy to be able to say, God, I'm dead. Make me alive. I'm disobedient, make me obedient. I go astray, bring me back to my father's house. It's super sad. And yet out there, no one wants to talk about this reality. There are men that have financial provision that could change the course of history. But in their stinginess and selfishness, cannot see the day that the power of resurrection raises up a place for the kingdom of God. In their own self-righteousness. There's a verse there that says, No longer are acts of self-righteousness. No longer our appearance that everything is okay. Because if things were revealed, if things were investigated, if we kept a tally on the things that are out of order, we would be begging God for resurrection this morning. We would be begging God for that power to come over our lives. Let's sing this song to the Lord. And you talk to God. And ask him to raise you up. To raise you up with his power and his spirit. To turn your depression into unspeakable joy. Because it's not based on your circumstances. It's not based on your bank account. It's not based on what happened years ago. Ask his power of resurrection to fill you this morning. And then we'll pray. I hear the Savior say. Strength is more, child of witness, watch and pray, finding me than all and all. Jesus, baby. One of the things that keeps people from being able to receive this power, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.33, that it's who you hang out with. He says, do not be deceived. 
When you gather with corrupt characters, you lose your good habits. Do not be deceived. And, and, and this is, when he's saying this verse, it's so misquoted so many times, but it's right in the paragraph of resurrection. When you're hanging out with people that don't intend anytime soon to come into the power of his resurrection by being obedient, by being faithful, by being generous, by being loyal, by participating. He says, evil company, when you gather with evil, it corrupts good habits. Look what it says in the next verse, verse 34. Because some say, and he says, awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God, and I speak this to your shame. A lot of people don't even know that they're supposed to be walking at levels of excellence. Verse 35. Some will say, who are the dead raised up? How are the dead raised up? How do you get an irresponsible person to be responsible, a disobedient person to be obedient? A chaotic, unsurmountable character of waywardness and disobedience and prodigal living. How do you get them back? And with what body are they going to use? They've already messed up the body they have. And Paul is talking about the power of the resurrection. Verse 36, he says, foolish ones, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. Unless you're willing to let it die, let it down, give up on it. Then God will raise it up. This is in every manner of resurrection. Verse 42 says, the body that is corrupt will raise in incorruption. The body that walks in dishonor will raise up in glory. The body who's weak will be raised up in power. The body that is soulish will raise up spiritual. This is the pathway of God to celebrate this day in manners that we have never even imagined. Never even been told to us. And I want to suggest that dreams and visions fulfilled is God's purpose for our lives. That which we earnestly desire in our hearts. We're going to attain to degrees you never even dreamed of. If you start yearning like Paul did, I want to conform myself to his death. I want it to hurt so bad so I could see God raise me up. Father, thank you for this day, Lord. As we walk out of this house, we know, Father, that you have drawn a line between death and life, between, Father God, sorrow and unspeakable joy. Allow that spirit that raised Christ from the dead to come upon each person that's here, each person that's heard this message, that we might have the distinct contrast between chaos and peace, destruction and instruction. And pray, Father God, that we might abide in a level of abundance in our life that surpasses even our ability to imagine. What no eyes have seen, no ears have heard, nor has it entered into the desires of man's heart, the things that you have prepared for those who love you. We pray that this seed, Father God, would give forth fruit that would be fruitful, multiplied, fill the earth, subdue it, and take dominion. In Jesus' name we pray, and all the people said, Amen, and Amen, and Amen. Greet one another in the love of the Lord.